Welcome to Nothing to Hide, the Moore & Giles podcast. I'm your host, Daryl Calfee. Moore & Giles is one of America's oldest leather companies. We were founded during the heart of the Great Depression here in Lynchburg, Virginia in 1933. And almost 100 years later, our leadership is still in pursuit of one thing, the world's finest leather. Perhaps we've even touched your life. Maybe it was in a hotel lobby or your home, or perhaps this morning when you went to get a cup of coffee, you found your favorite leather chair in the corner, you settled in. Well, that leather is probably Moore & Giles too. Our goal was simply just to share some stories within this podcast, to take you on a journey, to let you experience what we experience. We'll teach you how leather's made and give you insight to some of the subtle nuances of the material. Did you know it's one of man's oldest materials? We're also going to take you to meet some of our favorite people in the world, designers and creative influencers, and people that are connected to Moore & Giles through one thing, leather. We hope you join us on the Moore & Giles podcast, Nothing to Hide. Hey guys, I'm Daryl Calfee, and today's guest is Brad Ford. And Brad is a well-known high-end residential designer, but he's more than just that. He's also the creator and founder of FAIR and also Field and Supply. Brad's going to tell us a little bit more about all of those things today on the Nothing to Hide podcast. So, hey, Brad. Hi, Daryl. I would love for you real quick to tell us where you're located and what you do. I am actually in New York City and I do interior design, but I also have a furniture showroom called FAIR, which came about because of a modern maker craft fair that I host upstate in Kingston, New York. And that fair is called Field and Supply. Awesome. Hey, so our relationship goes back almost a decade with Moore Giles. Is that correct? Yeah, I believe so. It was then that I got a phone call from Brooks at Moore Giles saying that she had a special project they were working on for a charity called Dining by Design. And she was interested in my ideas of what we could do. And she had a gentleman that was able to work with old teardrop campers and make new ones and wanted to see if there was somehow we could work together on that. And I absolutely love anything to do with camping, especially teardrop campers. And I felt like before she could even finish the sentence, I had already said yes with about three exclamation points. Your background is in design. So when she called, did you think it was just going to be like the inside of the camper? Like what were your expectations on the project and how did it evolve from there? You know, it's funny, Daryl. Honestly, I didn't even care because I was just so excited about the opportunity to get to work with Morn Childs and to also get to work on one of those campers. You know, I grew up camping with my family and some of my warmest memories are those weekends that we had together out in the woods and camping. And so it just felt really meaningful to me also to be able to work on something that I was passionate about. And she really just said, whatever ideas you have, whatever you think, you know, just show us. Yeah. And so I thought about it and I sketched up an idea thinking, oh gosh, I don't know if they'll go for this, but what if we could create the ultimate travel bar? And that's really where it kind of started and contacted the guy that was doing the camper and said, is this something you think you could do? And he said, oh yeah, I think I could figure this out. And it was just such a fun project. So yeah, that's when we got started. And that was probably almost 10 years ago. So for the guys and girls out there that don't know really what we're talking about, Brad, how would you describe the the woody pull behind trailer for them. Really, it is kind of the ultimate travel bar because it's a small camper that can be hitched up to most cars, trucks, SUVs. And then once you are settled somewhere, you can then open up the front and it's got a pull-out bar stocked with glassware, a place for ice, a place for your spirits, all your bottles. It's really the ultimate in tailgating to be able to have a bar right there with everything you need to celebrate. And we're not just talking about a normal bar. I mean, this thing looks like a mix of Chris Craft boats meets 
teardrop trailers meets super high-end Manhattan bar scene, all kind of in the parking lot of your, your your favorite sporting event, right? Oh, totally. John, who actually executed it and made the teardrop, just as a phenomenal craftsperson. And we picked out all the materials and the, the stain colors. We used more child leather on the inside. So it's pretty elevated for sure. I think that was one of the things that I loved about the project and also try to infuse in a lot of my design work is just that constant balance of casual elegance. Mm. You know, I'm from Arkansas, so it would be silly if I ever tried to be pretentious because I'm from the sticks. You know what I mean? (laughs) But I do think through my experience of working in high-end interior design, I can bring that component to something and really, you know, create a nice blend of something that's sophisticated, but also super approachable. Well, I think to just kind of affirm your work on that, it ended up in the Neiman Marcus fantasy catalog that year. So, (laughs) Yeah, it was cool because the first one we did for Dining by Design sold at an auction. And then Diageo, who has bullet bourbon, reached out to me and said, you know, we would love to see about doing one of these for our company and see if we could get it into the Neiman Marcus catalog. And so we just did another one, but this one was a little bit more specific to bullet. And sure enough, Neiman Marcus loved it and they wanted to put it in their catalog. And that was so much fun because we got to go down to Dallas and be a part of the unveiling. It's all, it's all very, very, very top secret. Yeah. No one knows what the gifts are going to be, and they've got a big unveiling, and uh, it was cool. It's been a lot of fun working on that. Well, it's funny. I think we still get web traffic from that today, even though it's about 10 years old. So it's crazy oh, how much good, impact you made. You know? So you told us that, hey, I'm from Arkansas. And, and you know, you and I have had a relationship for a while, but I think your being from Arkansas definitely influences your design and your work. And I would say to your point, like your design is not pretentious and that's my favorite part of it, but it's so elevated. So could you talk for a minute how being a youth in Arkansas and then like moving to New York and doing what you do on such a high level for such a huge clientele, like how do those two things blend together and is it an advantage? Is it a disadvantage? Like talk about that for a second. You know, I feel so fortunate that I've been able to have what some people may consider success in this business, especially being a young kid from Arkansas who was never really exposed to high design. I was always super passionate about interior design, but I'm from a really small town and never really knew how to make that into any sort of career. And so when it was time to go to college, I just majored in business and economics because I knew that was a degree that I could always fall back on. I really had to work hard to get through that because I went to Hendricks College, which is a pretty competitive private liberal arts school in Arkansas. And I was majoring in something that I don't know that I was super passionate about, but I knew that it would serve me well. And so I powered through and it wasn't until I graduated and started working for a company called Axiom, which is a great company that does a lot of marketing and computer work for a lot of Fortune 500 companies. But it wasn't until that moment when I realized, you know, what initially was a very exciting job with that company, because Mm. it was my first job, I soon thought, I just don't know that this is what I want to be long term, because it's a pretty big company. And I felt like I was just a number. Mm. I was sitting in front of a computer. But during that time, I was trying to find a place to live. And so, so I ended up meeting a developer that was just starting this neighborhood, building these pretty small homes, but it was in a price point that I could afford.
toured and was able to actually, because it was just being developed, be part of the process of the design and picking mm. out the finishes and a little bit of the layout. And so it was then that I thought, wait, I really do love this process wow. of design. And so there was a pretty prominent interior designer who had lived in New York, but had moved back to Arkansas that I knew about. And I called him and just said, you know, could I come in and visit with you about your business? And Daryl, what was interesting is, you know, being from a really small town, to me, interior design was always like the local furniture store. (laughs) You'd walk in, you'd order your sofa, whatever. So I made an appointment with this gentleman. His name was George Anderson. And I walked in and it was an office. There wasn't any showroom furniture. And and there, you know, there was computers and there were drafting boards. And I was like, wait, what is, you know, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. And I had such a lovely visit with him. And he said, if you're serious about this and you want to pursue it, the best thing you could do is move to New York City. Wow. And it was such a kick in the gut because mm. I thought I could never move to New York. I just thought at the time that just seems so out of reach. Yeah. You hear these stories about how expensive it is, how dangerous it is, yeah. you know, all these things as a young guy. And I thought, well, crud, there goes that idea. And so I went back to work with Axiom and I'd been there probably about two and a half years at that point. And I thought, you know what, why don't I at least just explore schools in New York and, yeah. and think about like, is there a way, is there a path? And so I reached out and keep in mind now, this is pre-internet. This was like calling places and having them send an information pack. <laughs> and so I got all these applications and they all wanted portfolios and, you know, I had nothing. So I created something out of images of the house that I had done Mm. and I had photography and I did take art growing up so I sent all sorts of sketches and I really actually made this really beautiful portfolio that I thought I have no idea if this is what they're looking for or not but I sent it and got several people that called and I thought, well, okay, now I've got to go to New York and see some of these schools. So it was kind of a lengthy process, but long story short, Daryl, I did it. Yeah. And I thought, I'll just go back to school and we'll see what happens. And 27 years later, here I am and never look back. Amazing. And I think what's so interesting about that is that we all celebrate like your work today and we see that and we're like, oh man, this guy has always known what he's doing or he's always had it together. And the truth is, is just like most of us, right? Like your story is a journey that's kind of led oh, you to absolutely. where you're today. And it's been such an organic process and learning experience. And I wish that I could say that there was a lot of strategy involved, but some of it is just luck. Also, when I kind of go back to you asking about the path, one of the things that I was really fortunate to have happen was when I was at school at FIT in New York, which is where I went to design school, a student that I was friends with said, you know, this firm I'm working with part-time is hiring Mm -hmm. and they're looking for somebody part-time. And I said, well, I'll come in and interview. And again, Daryl, this was pre-internet. So I didn't know a thing about this designer. And I go and his name was Jed Johnson. And so I show up and again, a beautiful office and quickly realized that he was super, super high end. Mm. Jed had actually been part of Andy Warhol's factory. So Jed had a twin brother named Jay, and they had originally come to New York from California and were messengers. And one day they had a delivery to Andy Warhol's factory, really handsome guys. And Andy Warhol was like, I want you two to work for me. Wow. And they literally like started, you know, within days. And Jed ended up being Andy Warhol's caretaker when he was shot. And um, they just had this 
really, really interesting relationship. A lot of people thought that they were in a relationship, but it, it wasn't. Jed just really was close to Andy. And it was through that Andy Warhol had huge collections and needed a place to show some of these things and asked Jed if he could help him find a townhouse. And so Jed did, and he found a place. And Andy said, well, now I need you to help me design it. <laughs> and that was really how Jed got his start and ended up really getting incredible clients that were very, very big art collectors and very high-end projects. So that was really my first exposure to design in New York. I did get the job. I started working for him while I was in school. Yeah. And it was so cool because I was like a sponge and I just took it all in. I was just looking and learning all the resources that he used. Yeah. But one of the things that I really took away from Jed and his work was that he had a very understated aesthetic. Mm. And I think coming from the South where a lot of things can be really heavily layered, a lot of pattern, a lot of color, this felt really fresh to me. Mm. And it was at that moment that I started to really understand the process of editing and really being conscientious about how all the different parts of a home should work together mm. and not compete with each other. So for example, the furniture, the architecture, the artwork, the landscape should never really compete with each other, but rather complement one another. Mm, that's good. And I took so much away from Jed and his aesthetic. And from there ended up going to work for Thad Hayes, who was another really high-end interior designer, but who also I think had a real appreciation for understated spaces, but who also happened to work for big art collectors. And so Jed's aesthetic was maybe a little bit more traditional, just a hair, but I think because it was so edited, mm -hmm. it felt modern. And then Thad had much more modern aesthetic and a real emphasis on mid-century pieces. And that's when I really started to get an understanding and education about mid-century design and, mm. and a real appreciation. And so those experiences, I think, are what helped me develop my own point of view mm. and also that real appreciation of just things being highly edited. Uh, talk a little bit about your point of view because I think the story of not only Jed but also Thad I can see your inspiration from those moments of your life but I think your work is uniquely your own now and so talk a little bit about your own and define it for those who maybe haven't seen it before and we'll, we'll put some obviously some photos of your work in the show notes and that kind of thing but I would love to hear it from your perspective a lot of people describe the work as sort of modern with a warm soul. Mm. And I think there is a really fine line between something being super minimal and sort of stark and then also boring. So I try to really constantly reconcile shapes and forms with materiality and chunky fabrics or great leathers mm. from Moore and Giles. <laughs> That's and, way to get it in uh, there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Or, you know, like rough hewn woods. I just love texture. And I also love very shapely pieces of furniture and sort of organic in form, soft, rounded edges mixed with more clean lines. And I think that I also really like to work with a bit of a neutral palette, mm -hmm. which I just find very serene. And so I think that combined with more textured fabrics and materials has a warmth to it yeah. that's very inviting. I learned a quote from one of my favorite designers who was named Joe Durso, said, decoration is all about addition mm. and design is really about subtraction. Wow. And wow. I love that. And it, ever since I heard that, I thought, you know, to me, it's so much more challenging and kind of fun to think about how you can make something dynamic with as few things as possible or making it as least complicated as possible, whether that's like an incredible material or like this great vintage sofa 
or gorgeous piece of artwork, but yet constantly sort of reconciling the balance of those things and how they all work together. So it's a lot of curation as opposed to decoration. And so to me, it's challenging. The biggest compliment you can get is when you walk into a space and it seems kind of like effortless or Mm. the, the look seems effortless and it sort of seamless but you know that there was just like so much thought into each one of those decisions before you started field and supply where did you find these pieces because i think when we look at your work it seems minimal but man there is so much heart and soul to it so could you describe a little bit your process and even like some of your favorite brands or where you find things at yeah i love vintage pieces just because i think that a there's interesting design components to a lot of vintage pieces but there's also a lot of value as far as being able to collect those pieces and then retain their value. Mm-hmm. And I just always think it creates an interesting narrative when you have some of those pieces mixed in with contemporary pieces. And then, like you said, I do love handcrafted pieces as well. I talked about working for Jed and that really being my first exposure to design in New York. But going way back when I was a kid, really my first exposure to design were arts and crafts fairs. Mm. And I loved seeing what people were making by hand. I love the community part of going to these fairs and everyone being super excited to see what other people have been working on. And my father also had a real estate business, but for a hobby, he had a workshop up behind our house. And so he would go up and as a kid, I was just fascinated with the idea that you could take a piece of wood and turn it into a piece of furniture and watching that process and just the smell of sawdust and everything about it. I've always had such an appreciation for that. And as I worked more in the city and was exposed to more furniture and furniture showrooms and workrooms, I slowly started seeing certain people that were doing things by hand that really resonated with me, not just because of the process, but because of the artistry mm-hmm. and the design aspect. So I do think that a lot of my work has handmade pieces in it because that also, I think, brings a very soulful component to a space and the energy that comes with a piece made by hand just thinking about the hours that it took and the skill and the passion that someone has in making something by hand, I just think brings such a great energy into a space. So jumping off from there, that seems to me the genesis for Field and Supply. I mean, it's your natural love for these pieces. And you probably at some point said, man, somebody should really put these all in one spot together. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Daryl, exactly. You couldn't have said it better because that is what happened. And again, it was a bit of an organic process, but I would go to certain fairs and design shows and I'd see these little pockets of people that were doing such cool things. And I thought exactly what you said. It'd be so cool if someone could do something where all these people could come together. I never in a million years thought that it would be me pulling together some kind of design fair, but it all sort of happened by accident. And it was in upstate New York. And the very first time we did it, there were probably about two dozen craftspeople that I had worked with on my own projects even. And I just said, you know, I have this idea. I can't tell you if it's going to work or not work. Why don't we try it and see? And that first weekend, we had such an incredible response. And I could tell that there was this hunger for that type of work. And I also think over the years, it's become more of a reaction to what's happening with big box stores. Yeah. 
and people are just wanting things faster and cheaper. Yeah. And so all of those things are available out there, but I think people were longing for something that had a little bit more of an interesting story or something that would hold its value and could be passed down from generation to generation. And so that's really kind of how Field and Supply started. And it's just grown over the years. We're going into our sixth year. And last year, last fall, we had almost 7,000 people and close to 180 vendors. There continues to be a lot of interest, even within the design industry. Yeah. I just think, you know, it's a lot of fun and it's a lot of work, but at the same time, (laughs) I find it so rewarding and meaningful. Yeah. And from there, I also opened up a furniture showroom called Fair that just allows some of these people to have their work displayed in a more permanent context. Yeah. So it's been a crazy few years, but like I said, it's been a lot of fun at the same time. Well, you know, and I, I want to just kind of, again, affirm your work in this moment because I think you are super humble. And so when you say a craft fair, I think people have a certain idea in their mind. And then when you see the images from Field and Supply at Hudson Brickyard, you're like, holy cow, that is something very special that I need to go see, you know? And our team has been a part of it now for several years, not only the visitor side, but also now on the vendor side. And number one, the quality of the brands there is unbelievable, the quality of the products. But number two, the people that come through, really, it's just like a whole mix of folks from designers to celebrities to everyday folks. And it's like, it's this real laid back spot where I feel like everybody's just, again, having great manners and really just enjoying the quiet of the space and honestly, just kind of enjoying the art and craft that is happening Mm -hmm. in front of them (laughs) in this spot just outside of the city where it's like, wow, this is crazy. So It's really a fun weekend. And I think that it's because we think about who shows there, what vendors we have, but there's also really delicious food. There's live music and it's a happening. And that was one of the things that I always loved about craft fairs back home was that, you know, there was a social component and the sense of community that I think we're getting further and further away from that I think is so important to maintain. And so that's one of the things that I enjoy the most out of the weekend is such a cool crowd and so much fun and there happens to be really cool stuff to buy too yeah you know well real quick give us the pitch you've got two fairs this year may 24th 25th and 26th and then also coming up in october so where can we learn more yeah 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 fieldandsupply.com. You can learn more about the dates, the times, and also the vendors that are going to be there. We posted the spring exhibitors so far, and we've got probably close to 160 vendors for spring. And this is our first time doing it in the spring. It's called Spring Market. We really want it to have a completely different feeling from the fall. It's going to be a little bit more focused on the outdoors, whether that's gardening or hammocks or, you know, any thing that you can think of for outdoor space and then we will have the second one in the fall which is columbus day weekend i believe those dates are october 12th 13th and 14th i have to just double check but yeah it's um it's going to be a lot of fun and i would love for all your listeners to try to make it to at least one of them and check it out and then spread the word well i feel like if you don't make it you're just going to be seeing images of it on instagram and you're going to have a severe fear of missing out so exactly well brad thank you you so much for spending some time with us today good luck in the spring market and we'll see you there i appreciate you daryl and give everybody there my best we'll do